Good evening. Good morning. Actually, I don't even know what time it is just because we lost an hour last week, but it is another episode of the Icy Takes podcast with Jeff and Big Dave. Jeff, um, I, you heard me right before we started recording. I sound really tired, even though we got an extra hour of sleep this weekend. Yeah, Dave, it's like we're wearing different hats this week. Normally, it's my job to be the one that's tired and miserable doing this whole thing, but you just sound like you don't want to be doing this at all today. Hey, that is not entirely true. You take that back. Okay, let me... All right, I'll take it back. 75%. Thank you. Thank you. Seems like you don't want to be doing this. I am partially into it right now. So, my first question to you is... Is it weird that, like, I get energized more when we turn the clocks back? What did we just do? Turn them back or forward? Well, we, we, we fell back. We, we fall. fell back. Okay. Okay. I always forget that. But is it weird that, like, I woke up today. I woke up a good 45 minutes before my alarm went off today. And I was ready to go. I got to work 15 minutes early, which you can ask the people that I work with. I, that never happens. I'm usually five minutes late. So, like, I was energized, ready to go, and everybody else is all tired. So, I guess I'm weird, right? Well, I mean, I I wasn't like this all day. Um, I think just because of how early I went to bed and still didn't want to wake up this morning, uh, kind of feeling th- that tiredness. Like, at work, I, I was fine, and after work, I was fine. It's the draining of the Pens game, and watching at least the third period of the Pens game, and the video games I had played before that, that maybe have me a little bit out of it right now. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that Pens game that we just watched. Uh, we kind of were going to record dur- during it, and I was out to out to lunch with, or out to dinner with uh, with my aunt, and I was like, "Yeah, we'll call an audible on this. We'll watch a Penguin game and have a uh, have a fresh uh, week in Penguins hockey." Little segment later on in the show. So, all right, so let's just get into it, Jeff, and we're just going to have to say it. The The Washington Nationals made us look stupid. They did. They did. Or is it made us sound stupid because no one can see us? I think it's, it's both. Okay. Because we do post on on social media, so. I, I still think they don't see us. I mean, does yeah, anyone sure. know what we look like? I think a couple of listeners do. Some would say I don't look the greatest. Oh, right. Like, I have the face for radio. <laughs> so, I got that going for me. Yeah, we got that going. So, I mean, we were a great radio tandem in, in college, but... We were. We were, definitely. I, there's no bout of doubt that. <laughs> so, so, but, so yeah, but yet, the Nationals did make us look stupid. Uh, they made... Um, AJ Hinch looks stupid because he left Garrett Cole doing the same thing in the bullpen that you and me were doing. And that was taking in game seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just get into that right now. I love hearing these explanations from managers when they do something that contradicts based off what they said. So AJ Hinch after the game said that the only time that Garrett Cole was going to go into the game is if they had a lead. Jeff, do you remember what the score was when Zach Greinke got pulled? Uh, Yeah, I believe it was 2-1 to Houston, correct? Correct. Now, I'm not saying who he went to was a bad decision with Will Harris, but that is just completely contradicting everything that you just said about how you wanted to manage your bullpen, or not even bullpen, how you wanted to maybe slide in Garrett Cole on three days rest. Because he did work in game five. They had the travel day, the off day, Monday. They had game six on Tuesday. So you could say two days rest. And maybe a little bit going into the game, two and a half days rest. Why do you even go out and say something like that if you didn't do it like that confuses me on how he worded that post game. Yeah. I just don't understand. I just don't understand that. You know, you hear the, the old baseball cliche all the time that game seven, everybody's available. If that's the case, I just don't get how 
if you still want to use Will Harris, I get it. But why don't you save him for the eighth or ninth inning? Garrett Cole can get you there and kind of um, take the hearts out of the Nationals, per se. That he's been so dominant that if he can give you even an inning where it's like, oh, man, we're going to have to face this guy down the stretch, you know, we're in trouble here. Instead, you went to Will Harris, which, I mean, I think we both agree he was probably going to come in at some point, too. Garrett Cole wasn't going to pitch the last three innings, right? No, no. Like, I think A.J. Hinch almost wanted to end the game like the Red Sox did last year in Game 5 by bringing in Chris Sale, who was arguably the best pitcher of the playoffs last year and almost in the regular season as well. Like, that could have been Boston's MVP, but there were a lot of choices on the team that year. I think he wanted to end with Garrett Cole, and he decided to bring in who who was his best bullpen pitcher, which was Will Harris, who I think even after that hit he gave up, after the home run he gave up to Howie Kendrick, was the fourth hit in his 11 appearances in the playoffs. So, I mean, that's that's pretty damn good. Yeah, I, but here's the thing that confuses me, too, is that, so, after he gives up that two-run shot, how do you not go get Will Harris? Like, I, I feel like he was very underprepared for that situation. That, how do you not have, it, even if, in going off your theory that, that he wanted to end with Garrett Cole, how do you not have Osuna ready to go? Like, I, 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 I just feel like he didn't prepare himself for the worst at all. Like, it was, it was going to be clean. It was going to be no problem. I mean, I feel like there you have to have a safety valve in having either Asuna or Cole ready to go. And, you, you know, you're, you're still 3-2 or going into the, into the eighth or 3-2 going into the ninth. And then your team still has a shot. By the time you got to the ninth, there was no shot for Houston. I thought they were done completely by the time, well, I mean, by the time they got back, back to the bat, bat rack. You could say that. By the time they hit that home run off Will Harris, the it was decided who was winning that game. This this Washington Nationals team had some of the most grit from any team to come from behind in so many elimination games and come out on top in every single one of those games. And I, I think after the World Series, Davey Martinez said it the best, saying, you know, they stayed the fight and we won the fight. Like that, that was some of the most incredible um, underdog. Yeah, because you could say for the most part that the Nationals were an underdog this entire postseason, even maybe going into that wild card game as the home team against the Brewers. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like all all the way through the playoffs, team, teams seemed to uh, be able to find their advantage in, in terms of the experts. Everybody kept saying, well, you know, the, the Brewers have the bullpen, and the Nationals' bullpen has been garbage all year. They beat them. The rotation of the Dodgers, you had Ryu, you had uh, Kershaw, you, you had the, the dominance of the Dodgers. They were able to overcome that. They went into the St. Louis series and made them just look like jobbers. And then the, in the World Series, I don't think anybody gave, gave the Nationals really a shot, right? I said with, five with, games, and you said four games. Yeah, I, I, I thought for sure Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander won two. Here we go, keep it moving. And all of a sudden, the Nationals leave Houston up 2-0. Like it, it, it was kind of a really bizarre run that they went on that anytime you counted them out, they proved you wrong. I believe after the first two wins in the World Series, so game one and two, that the Nationals were 18 and 2, and that was also their best 20 game stretch since becoming the team that they are in Washington back in 2005. Like, that is the best time to ever hit your best 20 game stretch, which is half of them being in the playoffs in the first two games in the World Series. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a run that National, Nationals fans remember for. For years, and you know what's crazy too is that they didn't win the division. And I, I'm not saying that because I'm a Braves fan. And I'm pounding my chest because it doesn't mean anything because they won the World Series. But do you remember when we were talking down the stretch that like 
here come the Nationals. Look at the Nationals. They're still they're coming. They're coming, and yet they're still eight, nine and a half games out of first place in the National League East. Like, I think it was so overshadowed how well this team was playing because of the deficit they were behind the Atlanta Braves in the, in the National League East. Yeah, yeah, and with that said, they also. The number will always be brought up. They were 19 and 31 after the first 50 games. You flip that number around, Jeff, and the Nationals are the best team in Major League Baseball going into the playoffs, I believe. So, yeah, and, it, 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 and a lot of those, if you ask a lot of people throughout baseball, I'm sure would say, you know, if your bullpen's a lot cleaner in the in the first half of the year, you're probably cruising into the playoffs. There was no almost zero clean bullpen by any team this year. It seemed like, I mean, if you want to compare to last year, the Brewers, like with Hayter and Knievel, that wasn't as great as it was the year before. I forget if Knievel even finished the season. Um, You know, the Nationals were just pretty much bad all year except for the postseason when it came to the bullpen. You want to throw my favorite team in there. That was one of the worst things about the team when going into the season, it was proclaimed to be one of the best things about the team. Um, I mean, I mean both, both both of our teams too. I mean, the the Atlanta Braves very much had their issues as well. Um, they had stretches that they were good, which I think every bullpen in baseball this year uh, had stretches they were very good and very bad. But um, I agree with you one hundred percent that it seemed like throughout baseball, bullpen was not a strength for anybody this year. Maybe the New York Yankees, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, they had everyone that you yeah. want as a closer. So they they had about five teams closers getting to Chapman for God's sakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how about the the most bizarre thing about this World Series is the fact that not only is this the first time in baseball that this happened, but Jeff, this is the first time that in baseball, hockey, and basketball. Any of the three um, men's American uh, major North American sports in a best of seven series that the road team won every single game. Now, this was the first time that I think I believe it's happened the first five games, but then the home team wins game six. So it's just the first time ever in all three of those sports, I believe 1420 series in all of those sports combined never has the road team won every single game. So I I think there was one one year that pops into mind the um the 03 Cup final it was very similar to this that I I think the road team won every game up till game 6. Yep. Between the Ducks and the Devils and the Devils ended up winning game 7. Um but yeah, it, it's 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 crazy because you hear all year, oh, we want home field, we want home field, we want home field, and then you get to the World Series and it just didn't matter. It just it just didn't matter at all this year. Yeah, and I, that's I think what put the cherry on top with how Washington won this World Series, being down three to one in the bottom of the eighth inning against the Brewers. And lefty Juan Soto, the 20-year-old stud, up against Josh Hader, one of the best bullpen throwers in the game right now. And he gets that weird bounce to that right fielder, which scores three runs to take the lead. Doolittle shuts him down. Game four, Max Scherzer puts the team on his back in in a game that I believe got delayed by rain. Still went out there after the delay, pitched the lights out. Game five being down two with Clayton Kershaw coming in back to back jacks by Rendon and Soto sweep the Cardinals and just coming up with clutch hits and clutch hits on the road against the two best pitchers in baseball in games one and two, bringing it back to Justin Verlander in game six and then just coming from behind in game seven, which was. I think Grinky got pulled too soon. I think we should have talked about that earlier. I kind of want to move on soon. I think Grinky got pulled too soon, and that was another issue with what AJ Hinch did in there, and that kind of ruined the, what the Astros could have set up from the seventh inning and beyond. 
Yeah, you know, like you said, we're, we, we're kind of past it at this point with the, the World Series champs and everything like that and questioning moves. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're right that maybe – because all, all you heard Joe Buck in that, in, in that broadcast too, he was talking about how Granke was pitching the game of his life, it was the game of his life, and he was pitching the game of his life on, on the stat sheet as well. I mean, he was mowing down the Nationals. It didn't seem like they really – had anything going, and then they got got the the uh, the solo shot to get them going, and, and then all of a sudden it it started becoming a slippery slope for Houston. And next thing you know, Howie Kendrick, that old man, was able to crush one and give get the uh, get the Nationals a three two lead. So um, yeah, I, I I think with AJ Hinch though that. Once Granky gives that home, gives up that home run, you're starting to think, okay, now we got to get the bullpen involved because they have been, for the most part, very good. And I think, I think he wanted to get Will Harrison and either get Cole two innings or have him ready for the ninth. So I think he just wanted to get his top arms in as quickly as possible when they're fresh. And not to rain on your parade that you were trying to pull that stat from your head but the 03 cup finals the home team won every single game it was a home team okay yeah it was only the third time in nhl history and the first time since 1965 that the home team won all the games in the stanley cup okay yeah i I remember that for some reason i remember that year that it was lopsided one way i couldn't remember if it was a home team or the away team all right so well, congratulations, Washington Nationals. I know that will hurt, that will hurt Jeff to say that, but it, it will. But you know what? The the one bright side, and, and I, I'm very sincere when I say this. Um, if there was a man that deserved the MVP more than anybody, is it not Steven Strasburg? Oh yeah. Is there not a guy you can root for more than Steven Strasburg right now? Yeah, he was just stellar. Every I mean, he he time. was stellar, but he's also like a good dude. Like he seems like a a cool dude that like. I'm pretty sure if we DM'd him on Twitter and be like, hey, man, you want to come on the show and, you know, we'll have a beer, hang out. Like, I'm pretty sure he might say yes. I mean, Julia Rose still hasn't responded, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know what she would bring to the to a audio podcast, though. Eh, it doesn't matter. It's only for us, right? Eh, good point. Good point. Um, but, but yeah, congratulations to Steven Strasburg. He was the World Series MVP. We just wanted to make sure we mentioned that. Also, congratulations to uh, the Nationals delivering on Bryce Harper's promise, bringing back a title to D.C. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, Steven Strasburg, or not, not Strasburg, Bryce Harper has to just be, like, beside himself, right? I wouldn't say beside himself. I just think it's you're seeing your ex do well, uh, in a way. Right, right. <laughs> but it, it was with Harper's first press conference saying that, you know, my goal is to bring a title to D.C., and then he corrected himself saying Philly. Washington capitalized on that, so kudos to you. Um, yep. Let's get into some qualifying offers that were some hot stove stuff that I, we're going to be talking about this for ten months. Yeah, exactly. I, even the, the off season isn't even ten months. What are you talking about? Anyway. Well, some of these guys aren't going to sign. Let's not kid ourselves. Do you remember last year? Oh yeah. Well, no one is. I mean, how about this? Here's ten big names that we were. I was able to find on the score that were offered the 17.8 million qualifying offer. I feel like I'm saying offer a lot, but we're going to move on from that. Um, Just a little recap. If a player accepts, they'd receive the salary in the form of a one-year contract. If they decline, they become free agents. Teams that have their qualifying offers decline will receive draft pick compensation if the player signs with a new club before the 2020 MLB draft in June. So, Jeff, there's these 10 players, and after I read all the names, how many of them will sign with the team with that qualifying offer? You ready? Yep, let's go. Jose Abreu of the White Sox, Madison Bumgarner of the Giants, Garrett Cole of the Strohs, Josh Donaldson of the Braves, Jake Odorizzi of the Twins, Marcelo Zuna of the Cardinals, Anthony Rendon of the Nationals, Will Smith of the Giants, Steven Strasburg of the Nationals, and Zach Wheeler of the Mets. Hmm. Hmm. I think, 
the one, and I'm being a, I'm being a total fanboy here. I want Josh Donaldson to sign his. You I want think he, Josh Donaldson. Yes, I want him to. I think he will as well, just because of how successful he was last year. And I don't think the Atlanta Braves want to commit to him long term. Nor do I want I, them to commit to him long term. I find Josh Donaldson not taking a deal worth less than what he signed for the previous year. That's the only reason I don't see Donaldson staying on that qualifying offer with the Braves. I don't. I just don't see Atlanta offering that much more, nor nor giving him the years for him to take less on his annual value. I mean, what was his contract last year? Like twenty three million. I think it was. I think it was twenty. I'll, I'll look it up if you want to keep going. Yeah. Um, well, if this is no, that's not correct. That was from way back. Yeah, you keep looking, but I'd say of. All of those players that I had just mentioned, there's one here that I think will sign on that qualifying offer. Maybe two. Um, eh, I'll I'll go three. And the one that I at least I think I have a reason for is Will Smith of the Giants. He was one of the at least sought after bullpen arms going into the trade deadline. But the Giants were in that weird position that they were winning a lot and didn't find themselves in that sell mode, especially with Bruce Bochy's swan song of a year coming to an end and not sure Madison Bumgarner would, would be here the next year. That's why they send them the qualifying offer. And they didn't feel comfortable selling off the future or selling and building for the future if they had a chance to win now. Um, I think Will Smith is one of the pieces that can stay in that bullpen and keep the Giants in competition for next year. I don't see how the Dodgers just fall apart even after that that abysmal serious loss to the Nationals. Um, Jake Rizzi of the Twins, I can see staying there. I think he is... Not well, you could say vital to that rotation in Minnesota and part of the six the underrated success that got them to where they are because it was just home runs in Minnesota that basically won them a lot of games. But starting pitching from Odorizzi and Lance Lynn helped out a lot. And I think for funsies, uh, Jose Abreu, because I think that as teams want to at least prepare to hand over the money to Jose Abreu. It was weird with that story that came out how he, what was it, on this flight to America or something, he ate his passport or ate something to kind of hide his age, and he's actually two years older than what he people told him. So I could see him just at least making his money in Chicago this year and then maybe hitting the free agency next year in the 2020 offseason. Not bad, not bad. Um the only one that's kind of curious here is uh, Steven Strasburg. I think his is really interesting that he opted out of his deal that's worth $100 million or whatever. Four-year, $100 mil. Four-year, $100 mil. I could see him just wanting to, to just renegotiate a contract with the Nationals now. Oh, oh yeah. I don't see any reason why he would want to leave, at least. I mean, the, the Nationals still have something great, and his name starts with Juan and ends in Soto. I mean, that that dude is unreal with what the Nationals have for him right now. By the way, Josh Donaldson's contract was one year 23 mil, and he would be going down to 17.6 on that qualifying offer. It's the only reason I don't think he's going to sign with that qualifying offer with the Braves. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think his age has anything to do with that? That if, um, the, Braves, if the Braves come to him and say, hey, man, look at, look at where you're at in your career. You're in your 30s. You have, you've won an MVP. We have, a, we have a great thing going here right now. We need to add to it, though, but we need you to take a $6 million cut. Do you think his agent wants to come in there and maybe not take that big of a cut? Good point. I mean, that, that's a good point. I'm just saying... In terms of an organization, they have to. I mean, they could easily say, you know, if you don't take it, that's fine. 
but there's just no way we can commit to you long term or at that dollar figure. No, I mean it's going to be maybe a standoff for I, a little bit. I, I, I can see. I think he's going to have to take a cut. I don't think he's going to get twenty three again. Well, no. I do. You think his stats that he put up this year were worth twenty three million? I think they were. Yes. Once they put him behind Freddie Freeman, he is worth every dollar that they gave him then I don't think that he'll be taking as big of a pay cut as this qualifying offer is. I think he's still, I think he'll take a $3 million pay cut for sure. I think they're, they're going to try and meet somewhere around 19. I think that's, that's where the Braves want to be. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why I don't think he'll take that yeah, offer. So. Right. Now, do I'd you like think to, he will, or I want him to, yeah, I want him to take it. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to say no. I don't think he'll take it. Okay. All right. That's what I wanted to get at. Yeah. So, all right. And of the 10 names, you probably forgot about half of them. but No, I got them right. I got them right here. Okay. So, how many of them will take the offer? Um, I'm kind of the same with you. About two or three of them. Um, or, or Rizzi, I could see just being in that. That division, you pad your stats, you hit free, you hit free agency the next year. Um, Will Smith, kind of the same thing. Stay, stay where you're at, um, and then that's about it. The Jose Abreu one, I heard your crazy story. I'm not going to repeat it. So, um, <laughs> other than that, a lot of these guys have big paydays coming their way. Um, what's the point Garrett of Cole. Garrett, Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, to name two? Zach Wheeler is an interesting one, don't you think? It is. I know because if you're the if you're the Mets, even if he doesn't sign that, I still think he stays in New York. Yeah, I mean, he was never one of the big two. I mean, you have Syndergaard and Degrom, and Zach Wheeler was kind of a shadow of those big two pitchers. So, but do I mean, you think he's, he's? Do you think he's in in anybody else's rotation on one or two? I think he's a very good three. Oh yeah, I mean, you're right there about being a very good three. Um, I'm sure he could fit his way in Pittsburgh as a one or two for sure. Um, probably any team that had a hundred losses or damn near, uh, he could be a one or two. But if he wants to be somewhere competitive, then I think he's a very he's good a very three. Good somewhere three. very good. Yeah. So. So let me ask you this: I know you said you would you would like him here in the four one two. Um, if 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 in some incredible fantasy universe. Um, Bob Nutting shells out the shells out shells out the money for Zach Wheeler. Is that the big splash that you're waiting for as a Pirate fan? Um, Is that a big enough name? That would that would set it up. That I think I think that would definitely set it up for what this organization can do based off the I guess one third now of the big three roles that they have filled. You know, with the president of baseball ops, the general manager, and the manager on field but yeah i any well not any name this is a a younger well younger i mean he's 29 gonna be 30 next year on may 30th went 11 and 8 last year and with a 396 era and when you have a new pitching coach coming in with a with a with a player who has never been below three in the era but He's never been above four except for one year, and that was 2017. It's a very solid arm, and if you can get him for, let's just say, Chris Archer money, I'm all for it. Like, there's no reason to maybe not be excited for Zach Wheeler to possibly be a pirate, but let's not get too far into that, Jeff. You kind of right, you're right. He he's he's used to making that New York money. I don't think he can come back down to Pittsburgh money quite yet. No, no one can. Um, other news, just before we move on to hockey, the Pirates picked up the options for Chris Archer and Starling Marte, so I'm excited for about half of that. And it's being reported that J.D. Martinez won't opt out of his contract and he'll be staying in Boston. So um, let's see... How Boston can turn it up with keeping J.D. Martinez. He's been one of the best focal points for that team since joining them last year. And let's see if 
Marte or Archer. I liked Marte last year. Archer, let's see if he can change it up. But right now, let's just move it on to hockey. Unless you just hold on. Yeah, what? One more thing. We had two uh, two award finalists named uh, named uh, today. We had the Rookie of the Year award finalists that were announced today. You had the Mets, Pete Alonso, the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., and uh, a guy by the name of Mike Soroka. Uh, those three guys are up for Rookie of the Year, and the NL Manager of the Year was announced um, as finalist today, too. Let me see if I got names. Um, mostly naming this because uh, Brian Snicker was one of the names. Davey uh, Martinez has to be in there, too. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. They just Frank have... Council, maybe? Uh, uh, yeah, here, here we go. I got it right here. Um, Brian Snicker, Craig Council, and Mike Schilt actually are up for the manager of the year. So a wide open field for Brian Snicker to go back to back, huh? I, I'm just astonished how even without a World Series title, Davey Martinez is named to not make that list. I guess. Uh, well, I mean, it's best. It's based off of uh, off the regular season, not the playoffs. I know. I'm just saying, without that World Series title, like without any of that, I'm just baffled. I I think this is Brian Snickers manager of the year to win. I mean, Uh, Craig Council and Mike Schilt really didn't do anything like that astounding. Um, I mean, Mike Schilt took a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in a couple years and in three years, and they got it. They're they're essentially the Yankees of the National League. I'd say Craig Council is the better competition than Mike Schilt just because of. Can you name two starting pitchers for the Brewers? Oh, isn't there a young blood on that team or something? I I don't want to give you names unless you're giving up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I mean, there's Zach Davies and I, I believe Chase Anderson and uh, Yuli Chassin, So, Oh, I mean, for God's sakes, you named the whole rotation, for God's sakes. Well, you couldn't name one of them. Well, that's because they stink. And they still made it to the playoffs. And they lost. So did the Braves. All of those fi- They finished lost. in what? Third place in the Central? Or second, second place in the Central? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think I think it's Brian Snickers to win. But anyway, we gotta move on. Yeah. Let's let's keep it going, Jeff. What do we got for hockey talk? Oh, some hockey talk. Uh let's talk about the red hot New York Islanders. Um I think it's safe to say in our hockey preview that neither of us thought the New York Islanders would come out of the gate this hot and and ma- pretty much maintain what they started last last year in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they started off sluggish in the first four games, but since then, it's been an absolute nightmare to play this team. Yeah, I mean, they're 6-2 and two at home, 4-1 on the road, 9-1 um, and one in their last 10. Um his team just keeps on rolling, and I, I, a lot of people question the goaltending. Um, and Simeon Varlamov has started out very hot. Um, they're getting great goaltending. Matthew Barzell is making a huge name for himself, uh, picking up where he left off in the in the playoffs and in the regular season last year after John Tavares left. So, um, yeah, the the Islanders just seem to to keep finding ways to win. And the, 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 here's the kicker of the whole thing. They're on a 9-1 and one, uh, run here in their last 10. They're still five points behind the Washington Capitals for first place in the Metro Division. Isn't it crazy how just the Capitals are consistently first place in this division? It almost seems like all year long. Yeah, and I'm well, I'm, I, I'm sure it helps, too, that you have a defenseman that's putting up points like Bobby Orr in the month of October. I'm telling you, man, John Carlson's winning that Norris Trophy. I the more I keep thinking about it, and the way like if you listen to the way the national guys are talking about him, I think he's he's planting his seed as far as you know. I'm gonna put my name in there with the national guys, and they're just gonna talk my way into winning me a Norris Trophy. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it on the ice, but the way they vote on that tri- that uh, that award, it's usually picked by the time we get to Christmas time. And, and the way it sounds, he's going to win this Norris Trophy. I, I mean, even if you were to pick it right now, you have to go with John Carlson. Absolutely. So there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And although I can't, 
I can't really say much because I haven't watched too much of, you know, John Carlson play, just kind of seeing the news and some highlights. But the that award in particular, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but that award almost seems like they don't credit enough defense for a defensive trophy if or defensive MVP, if you catch what I'm saying. No, I get what you mean. It seems like they just... Uh... Nine times out, t- nine times out of ten, they pick the uh, the defenseman that's got the most points or has the most flash. And I mean, I w- I would like to see some some credit to to the guys that are blocking shots and eating pucks. Um, that's not necessarily going to put up you know sixty points a year from from the back end, but you know they're shutting down the uh, the other team's top forwards every night. I mean, would you rather score sixty points or block or defend sixty points if you're a defenseman? Me personally. Yeah, sure. Why not? I would rather score sixty points because it's a lot easier on the body. Oh, it, it, blocking it, shot, blocking shots, and eating pucks suck. Oh, like, it's not I, fun. I don't know. I, I mean, no, you're definitely right there, but it's just weird that you almost get zero credit for doing your job correctly with that well, position I, in I order think to get to, the award. I, I think to a degree, though, that like. You know, it, they do taking credit that, you know, like for an example, Drew Dowdy, yeah, he puts up a ton of points, but he's also shutting down the other team's top line each and every night when he when L.A. was was winning. And I think a lot has to do with how successful your team is. Um, look at Mark Giordano last year. Do you think he wins the Norris if if Calgary is a number five team in the in the Pacific Division? I don't think it's as clear cut that Giordano wins. Right, but. that's but that's what I mean. Like they made it seem like it was a runaway last year because they they were a division winning team. But you know, if they're not not necessarily a division winning team, I think it's a little bit closer of a race. Let's get back to the Islanders because this nine game winning streak, if I counted it correctly, they yeah. have four. One goal victories. They had three two in overtime against the Blues. They had three two in overtime against the Blue Jackets. They had one nothing against the Sabres. So I guess it was only three. Oh, and they had three nothing or three to two in a shootout against the Panthers. So of their first four wins, three of them came in an overtime or a shootout. And their last victory was a one nothing win against the Sabres. But the other ones in between were at least a two-goal differential. And let's look at the last two before the Sabres where they beat the Lightning. The Lightning, who crushed everyone last year until the first round of the playoffs, 5-2 to two in, you know, it's Brooklyn, right? Uh, they're, they're going between Brooklyn and that suck barn, the uh, Coliseum. So, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I remember walking out of game four last year when when they swept the penguins and i asked an islander fan where game one of round two or where their first home game was for round two and he said he didn't know and i just laughed in his face like they don't even know where the hell they got to go for their home games and the game before that they beat the flyers five to three it's always great to see the flyers lose so of course definitely give the islanders credit for that one but i mean i'm not gonna get into that um almost foreseeable thing that I did last year with the Blues when they hit that 10-game winning streak saying, is this, does, do the Blues have a chance to win the Western Conference based off this streak? But the Islanders are showing that last year really wasn't a fluke with where they got into the playoffs and maybe hit that stone wall in the second round, which was hilarious. But this is a team that's looking to stay on top of the Capitals and the Penguins. Yeah, they're they're tr- definitely trying to uh, to stay stay pace with the Penguins, the Capitals, and we'll even throw the Hurricanes in there. The Hurricanes are very much in the race as well, too. So I think the one thing, if you look at their schedule, though, um, it's kind of interesting that they haven't been on really a long trip yet. Like the Penguins kind of took their three game trip through uh, through Florida and then ended in Dallas and eventually came home, but. Um, I'm going to be interested to see what this team does when they go to uh, to the uh, the California West Coast, when they go to San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A., and then they have to come back across the country two days later and play at home, wherever that is in Brooklyn or on Long Island. Nobody knows. But, um, but I, I, I think that's something that they haven't had to deal with yet is any 
serious travel besides on where their home games are at. But um, I think that's going to be telling on what kind of team this is. Can How are they on the road when they have to play extensive um, on, on an extended period of time on the road? Can you believe that from November 7th to November 21st that the Penguins and Islanders play three times? How stupid is that? And then Fair. we don't see we don't see the Flyers again until like February. Well, I mean, the less we play them, the better because that just brings out the haze. Anytime you see that team on the ice, you're just hoping for the worst for the other team. And recently, it's been working. But yeah, I mean, I like to see the Flyers be as abysmal as possible. But after that West Coast trip that you mentioned, the Sharks, Ducks, and Kings, they go back home wherever it is, like you said, against the Blue Jackets. Then go back on the road for Detroit and Montreal. So that's On a, a back-to-back, that's, th- that's three games and four nights. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's going to – that's a tough stretch that I think if you're an Islanders fan, you're going to really learn a, a thing or two about how your team can play um, when it comes to not only back-to-backs but also being on a long trip. You come home after a long trip, and then you go right back on the road. Um and then if you even look at their schedule, they do – once they come home from uh, – to play Columbus, they go Detroit-Montreal, come back home to play Vegas, and then they're back on the road for Dallas, Tampa Bay, and Florida. So, I mean, that stretch at the end of uh, November going through the first couple weeks of December is going to be a brutal one for them. All right, enough about the Islanders. What, are we, what else do we got? Uh, so, the Icy Takes family, half our team got healthy – and they just passed along the health bug to another member of the Icy Takes family. Uh, Evgeny Malkin returned on Saturday for the um, for the Penguins against the Oilers. You know, every, everything seemed happy, hunky-dory. On the other side of the country, the Colorado Avalanche have hit an injury bug, Dave, and it is two major names that isn't good. Gabriel Landisklog and Mika Rantanen both are on the shelf for our beloved Colorado Avalanche. And uh, it leaves Nate McKinnon and Kale McCarr basically carrying this team by themselves. Is there a chance that we can just not save the franchise mode right now and restart before the injuries happened? I like that idea a lot. Like, just, oh, we turned off the game by accident. What a shame. But A a buddy of mine made a, a franchise called the Rough Riders, the Canada Rough Riders, and... Uh, Namisnikov is we like to refer to him as Goat. There was a game when he got injured, and we may have restarted the game. So, <laughs> but just to point out the correlation. <laughs> but yeah, the um, you, you lose your captain. He's out with a lower body injury. Uh, arguably your second best player, Mika Rantanen, has been out with an ankle injury um, since October twenty first. So, um, you know. The one thing that that the Avalanche are going to learn from from this though is how how good their depth is. And right now they've kind of hit a little bit of a of a slide a little bit, but um, I I I think in the long run, once they get back healthy again, they're going to be good as new. You're going to be getting scoring from the top side, and I mean they, they when they were fully healthy, they were getting um, contributions from guys like Barakovsky. Um, JD uh, Comfer was was contributing, so um, they were getting they were getting their depth scoring it, along with their their uh, their stars like McKinnon, uh, Landis Gog, and Rantanen. So um, I think you just got to kind of weather the storm. You got you got Nashville, Columbus, um, and Dallas this week. You know if you can get a couple wins, the Nashville one's probably the one that you're. If you're going to lose one, that's probably the one you're going to lose. But you got to get two points against Dallas and Columbus. Keep kind of keep the train rolling. Well, I mean, what? So we're into November, Jeff. When do the games start to really count? Um, you want to be in a good spot probably around Christmas time. I mean, a lot of people say you know, you you want to have an idea of what your team's going to look like come Thanksgiving, and then once you get to Christmas you better be in the hunt for a playoff spot. That's kind of like your timeline. And then January is when you're starting to jock for positioning and everything like that. So you would arguably say that this is probably the best time to have these injuries occur. If there is even a time to say it's the best time. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, if there is a time, at least get them out early and then get healthy. And then once once you cross the new year, you, you need to go on a run. So I don't think this question really needs to be answered, but I'm still going to ask it anyway of our two teams that we represent on this podcast. Who gets affected by this injury more? Or the, the list of injuries that you may have presented earlier oh, for the Athens Pens. Um, oh. I mean, losing of Guinea Malkin was big, but the Penguins played really well without him in the lineup. I would say Colorado's affected more just because I think they're such a very top-heavy team. And when you're relying on your depth scoring that much and for an extended period of time, Boy, that is a really tough question. I'm going to say Colorado gets affected more by this than Pittsburgh. I just got to be different and say the other team, but I agree with you. I'll just say Pittsburgh just because. And, I mean, that's like a 49-50 percentage there, right? Like, it's it's pretty much down the middle in terms of the guys that they lost. Yeah, flip flip the coin. You'll, you'll see because, well, Patrick Hornquist on IR, right? Right. He just went on IR. Chris Letang left. The Boston game early, so there's two more guys that are that are probably going to be on the shelf. So, well, I mean, when you have John, don't call me Dan Marino. I think you're pretty much in good hands. Yeah, and we'll get to that here. Do do we just want to segue into the Boston game here? Yeah. There, there we go. Yep, that, that's what we call a segue in the radio business. You learned it here on Icy Takes. Uh, yeah, Penguins lose a heartbreaker tonight, six four. Um, not by a valiant effort, though. I mean, Dave, did you watch the whole game? or uh, Not the whole game, but I got those updates, and it was very top, or it was very one-sided, all three periods, whether it's for one team or the other. Yeah, the, uh, the first period was very much the Stanley Cup champions kind of rubbing the Penguins into it a little bit. Um, Stanley Cup uh, champions, or the the Stanley Cup runner-up. I I, oh, I apologize. I, gee, oh, Floridian slip. We can cut that out, right? Uh, I don't think we have it in the budget anymore. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yep, yep. The uh, the Eastern Conference champions, I should say, um, really rubbed it in the Penguins in the first period. Um, couple kind of fluky goals given up by Matt Murray. Um, it didn't get be- too much better to start the second period. Um, Matt Murray ended up giving up his third goal. He ended up getting pulled. And then for whatever reason, the Penguins flipped the switch and pl- probably played the best period of hockey that they've played so far this year. Um, come erasing that three, nothing deficit. They ended up leaving the second period with a four, three lead. And as Dave mentioned, um, John, don't call me Dan Marino, uh, got his first NHL goal in his hometown where he played college hockey. He's a Harvard grad. Um, he got a breakaway out of the penalty box. I don't think he could have drew up his first NHL goal any better, right? No, I mean, that's that's brilliant. I mean, that's a calculated move by a Harvard man, if I've ever seen one. Yeah, 100%. You knew he was – level. He, he had his little calculator in the penalty box or whatever, and he was dialing up that whole play the whole time. But, um, but So the Penguins got through the second period and leading 4-3. Uh, Yaroslav Halak was one goalie stick less because he broke it over the goalpost after John Marino scored. And then the Bruins end up coming back. Uh, they tie the game, take the lead, and eventually score an empty netter. Um, I, that's a tough loss to to battle back from 3 nothing and not get a point in, the, in, uh, in that, that fashion. And you end up losing 6-4. It's a tough loss. Um, maybe one that's circled later on in the year that, hey, if we get a point here, we're maybe in a better standing. But um, the encouraging thing is to battle back the way they did. I I think that's something to to write home about, though. Can we just focus on how since the last Stanley Cup the Penguins won in 2017, up until that point, it seemed that with any third-period lead, the Penguins are going into the third period with the lead. The Penguins already had that game won. There was no chance that the other team was going to win it. And it seems like ever since the 2017-2018 regular season started, the third period leads are not 
locked down at all. It almost seems like you're worried that this team, and I'm not going to say blow it because this was a hard-fought game and you just end up on the wrong side. But it just seems it happens way too frequently that it should when you when this team has a lead going into the third period and doesn't find a way to lock it down or even go into overtime. I think, though, if you look at the the goal that was scored to tie the game, it was a Tory Krug shot from below the, cir- the bottom part of the circle. Um, I think that's just a hell of a shot by Tory Krug. Um, you know, if he if he shoots that high, it's easily a breakout the other way, and the Penguins live to fight another day to to hold on to their lead. Um, and then the, the Marshawn goal. The Marshawn goal was kind of weird. It hit the post, and it comes out and hits Jari. Um, and it goes in. So, um, I, I wouldn't say they blew it. I mean, both, no, I'm not saying both, that either. Yeah, you no, know, and I'm not saying you are, but I think both goals were definitely a little, um, on the bizarre side of things that were just like, okay, you gave up one, a, one really nice shot, and then one bounces off your goalie after it hit the post, and, um, you know, obviously you had the empty netter. So, I think, I think it was more gut, gut-wrenching the way that you gave it up. It's one thing that if you could be like, oh, well, if we correct this, this, and this, you know, we're, we're in a good spot. But um, I'm, I'm sure it's a disappointing loss. But if you look at the tape, it's not a whole lot more different that you can do, I don't think. No, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that the way the Penguins played in the third period led to that loss. But I think it just comes up too frequently that the Penguins do have a lead going into the third period and more often than it should, they end up losing the game. I'm not going to say blow it. I'm not going to say did anything incorrectly. They're just not, they just don't have that edge anymore. Like they did in those back-to-back years. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I just think the Penguins at this point have gotten to a stage where they're, they're a lot older and, Teams are a lot younger, and they're attacking the Penguins more than the Penguins are attacking them. Well, also, how about this? I am really happy. I'll just say happy is the right word. With the amount of shots that the Penguins are able to produce on net, because that opens up more chances for you know redirects or uh, just like deflection goals and um, rebounds off the off the pads of the of the goalie. Because the more you get on net, the harder it is for that goalie to just stand on his head and block everything. And it was a positive that they were able to at least put up four in this game against the Bruins. But, you go, let's just go back to the week in review. I mean, they killed the Flyers, which was amazing. But to put up 52 shots in overtime and score one goal against the Oilers, that was that was killer. For that team, they get the point against Edmonton, who's been red hot this year. But to only come away with one goal and a loss in overtime with that many shots is just unbearable. Yeah, I mean, they they ended tonight, too, with like 44 for the night. So, I mean, a hundred shots and five goals. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's kind of like the frustrating thing is like they're getting pucks in the net. They're getting great opportunities. They're just kind of not finishing. So. I think that's partially what happens in hockey season. You go through a dry spell a little bit, but um, you know, I I like I like the direction the team's going. Though, I mean, we even said when they were on that th- little three game losing streak. I mean, they were still playing good hockey, and but they just weren't getting results. So I think once they they start getting the results and they start putting more pucks behind behind other teams' goaltenders, I think that they're they're very much in a good spot. Let's look at the upcoming schedule now for the Penguinos. You got the Red Hot Islanders that we just talked about earlier the, this Thursday, 7 o'clock in, you know, let's just say New York. Um, and then they host Chicago on Saturday at 7 o'clock. Two, uh, at least one winnable game. We'll, we'll, we'll see about the Thursday game. Penguins trying to get revenge that playoff series that did not go in the Penguins' favor at all. Um, do you think the Islanders make it double digits, or with the way the Penguins have been able to get pucks on net, do you think it eventually goes their way? I think 
I think the Penguins are going to be very motivated for this one. Um, I know it's a game in November on a Thursday, but you're playing against a team for the first time that swept you out of the playoffs. Um, some say embarrass the Penguins. I, I don't know if I would say that, but um, at the end of the day, you got swept out, out of the playoffs by this team who kept very much the same group together. Um, I would expect the Penguins to come out in whatever building that they play this game in, um, I, w- I think the Penguins come out with a win in this one. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. And these are, like I said, two heart-wrenching losses, and the way it went down against Boston was probably worse than how it went against Edmonton because you're on the road in Boston. You go down 3 nothing early in the second period. You pull your goalie, take back the lead in that same period, and then just give up, you could say, ridiculous goals. And not saying bad on the defensive side, but just great on the offensive side and a little lucky bounce on the Marshawn play. But you got to hit the post first to even get that bounce. So, um, But, yeah, I could see two wins this week in regulation, just not even let the other team have points because you already lose this, this game tonight, yesterday, whatever, we're behind an hour now um, against the Bruins. So you lost your chance at least a point there of the six that you're looking to get this week. If they can come away with four, three at the minimum, um, I'm happy with this week for the Penguins. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Get your two points against Chicago. Get what you can against the Islanders, and then uh, reassess because you got a pretty nice week ahead of you next week. But don't overlook it. So, all right. Anything else we got? No, nah, I think we're good. Uh, just Milan Lucic got two game suspension for punching a guy in the face. Um, I'm actually down to talk about that for a little bit and then wrap it oh. up. All right, all right. Here, I, I struck a chord. Let's go. Here, here's the, well, which suspension? Do you agree with more? Was it the Adam Lowry or the Milan Lucic? I would say the Adam Lowry one because really the Milan Lucic, yeah, be, mostly because the Milan Lucic thing ten years ago that's not that's not an issue. That's a guy. That's a guy defending his goalie, saying we're not going to get bullied, get bullied out here. And a young kid took a run at his goalie, and he's protecting his goalie. Ten years ago, that's not an issue. Well, we're talking about now, though. That that uh, I I get that I I really do. But um, if you it, it, it's always been said in hockey, if you want to go to the net and you want to uh, poke the goalie and look for rebounds, you're going to pay a price, and the kid paid a price. So even though we we even both agree that the the hit that Adam Lowry put on whoever it was for Calgary, Kyle Langan or something like that, that it wasn't a hit worth even suspending for at all, maybe finding okay. But I just did not think that a hit that we both agreed on that we didn't think was even almost punishable is more acceptable to be suspended for than throwing a punch at a player. And I'm not saying for the wrong reason. I'm just saying throwing a punch just to get it going. It wasn't even agreed upon to have that fight just because of the unwritten rules of hockey. Yeah, I I, I don't know. And I think it might just be the difference of, and I, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way or anything towards you, but when I grew up playing hockey, if you touch the goalie, you're getting a forearm shiver or you're getting a punch or you're getting grabbed. At the end of the day, you go to the front of the net, you're going to pay a price. And you know that as a forward, you know that as a defenseman. So, um, you know, if you want to go there, you're going to get roughed up a little bit. And I, I, I just think that what Lucic did, yeah, was a little over the top, maybe. Does he have a history? Yeah, he has got a history. So I think that's more of where he got the suspension from. Not necessarily what he did. It's the fact that it was what he did, plus he's got a history of of suspensions on his resume. And I know that this, it wasn't really taught in high school baseball, at least it wasn't for me. But 
it's the basically the same thing in baseball where you know if you're going after our player we're going to go after your player so i get what you're saying with protecting the goalie and and you know protecting what's yours but the the weak hit by adam lowry in comparison to not a sucker punch but just a punch and a takedown immediately after a play had just ended i thought the Lucic was more acceptable of a two game than just that weak hit by Lowry. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I just have, I just have an issue that, and you, you kind of see this everywhere with any scrum that happens or anything that the, the linesmen are so very quick to get into, into scraps and stop, stop fighting or anything. And that's the one thing about hockey is that, um, you know, if two guys are going to go and it's going to be honorable, they, you got to let them go and you just got to let them handle their business. And then they sit there five and then they're good to go. So, um, I know that sounds very Don Cherry, dinosaur, whatever you want to call me, but that's kind of how I was, that that's how I was taught the game. And, um, it's a shame they're kind of taking that out of the game. And I, I love it. Anytime you bring in your, the, the future you, which is Don Cherry, when it comes oh. to the game of hockey, it's beautiful. Oh, I was watching Coach's Corner on uh, on Saturday. He was talking. He, he was talking about fighting still. Like the guy's still able to come up with stuff to talk about in regards to fighting. He was talking about how uh, uh, I forget whose fight he brought up, but the the linesman would like come in and he was like trying to grab the guy's arm, and he's like, "You're putting that guy at a real disadvantage because he's getting ready to throw like a right." And if you if you grab him and he can't get his arm up, the other guy's gonna come right back with a right because he he's got a free arm, and you put the guy in a bad spot. So these referees just need to let these guys go, you know, get get their minute minute and a half fight out, and then you know sit for five minutes. I mean, I, I agree with him a hundred percent on that. Spirit animal. That's what I wanted to say. He's your spirit animal for uh, sure. That- that sounds weird. That sounds weird. Don't call him that. Hundred percent. Well, all right. We found Jeff's spirit animal. I think we're ready to call it an end. On but first, the MVP, Jeff. MVP the MVP. The, the MVP of the week. Oh, can I have an MVPs of the week? Multiple. Oh, I was gonna have an MVPs of the week as well. Do you want to go first? Sure. Why not? Um, okay. Go ahead. I'm giving it. I'm giving it to seven different people. Okay, are you ready? Okay, all right. Justin Schultz, Jared McCann, Jake Gensel, Zach Aston. I hate you. Dominic Simone, Dominic Cahoon, and Sidney Crosby. Okay. Every why, is that, why is that, Dave? Uh, because they all scored one goal, and that's seven players, so that's seven goals against the Philadelphia Flyers. All right, okay to dominate and just humiliate the Philadelphia Flyers in a 7-1 blowout that wasn't even a game to begin with. I like it. I like it. Uh, you stole my answer, number one, so <laughs> I'm going to have to think on my feet. But since, <laughs> I, since I essentially hold this podcast together... We can share. Think, think, no, 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 no. You took yours. You took yours. My MVP is going to be Elaine Vigneault of the Philadelphia Flyers. And here's why. All last year, every person on the eastern side of this beautiful, beautiful state that we live in kept saying, Carter Hart, he's the guy. He's going to save the Philadelphia Flyers. The goalie woes of the Philadelphia Flyers are gone because we got this young stud. We're going to rush him up to the show and he's going to steal the show. He had a decent year last year. He did all right. Elaine Vigneault, first game against your cross-state rivals in their barn. You think you would have started the savior. The savior has been kind of struggling the last couple of games. You think you'd put him in against the rival. He goes, uh-uh. I'm going to start Brian Elliott, and I'm going to get ran out of Pittsburgh, along with Mike Terrian because he got ran out of Pittsburgh, Mike Yoke. He got ran out of Pittsburgh after he won a cup, neither here nor there. But, the again, I just don't get how you have this stud of a goaltender and you won't let him work himself out of a bad streak that he's in right now. Yeah, he gave up four or five in his last, like, three or four starts. I get that. But you're going against your 
your cross-state rival and you don't start your number one goaltender, you put Brian Elliott in, and I looked at my old man. We were watching the game together, and I go, do you think they're stupid enough to start Brian Elliott because Carter Hart has been struggling? And he goes, I don't know. I think you go hard. I so I go, yeah, I think you go Carter Hart too. And sure enough, Steve Mears goes, Matt Murray at one end, Brian Elliott at the other. And I go, oh, let's go, boys. Let's have a night. Let's run them out of the building. And sure enough, 7-1, to one, the Flyers end up winning. So, uh, Elaine Vigneault, my hat goes off to you. Thank you for the 7-1 victory because you started Brian Elliott like a complete moron. So, let's go, Pens, and let's keep her rolling here. If you can't tell, we're anti-Philadelphia on this podcast, just in case this is your first time listening Boy, to that the was a, that was a hell of a run I went on there, too, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I had you timed it around two minutes and maybe three seconds. So Yeah, it wasn't. That was a bad promo. Vince McMahon, if, if you want to call me up, please do. <laughs> All right, we're out of here. I think this has gone off the rails way too much. Oh, so. yeah, it definitely has. All right, so the socials. Well, first you can... Uh, listen to us on Anchor.fm, and if you're not already listening on that, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to listen on a different outlet, there's your other choices, and plus we have others. Um, there's also a donation link on Anchor.fm. You know, we appreciate anything that can be kept for the upkeep of the show. Um, Facebook, you can follow us or like us on Facebook at IC Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Twitter. At IC takes all together one word, I C E Y, to begin all together one word, and I C takes personal Twitters at big underscore Dave 52. At J Chris underscore 51. Like our Lord and Savior, amen. So, you know, hopefully we, you know, didn't go off the rails too much, and hopefully we're better next week, but there's no chance of that. So, um, until next week, but until then, stay icy.